We're coming into month three of our 2020 vision campaign. And today we're gonna to take a look at our fundraising progress and some of the print materials that are available in our lobby. First, I'm happy to say that since our last update in May, we've seen almost $120,000 come in. That puts us at the 944 mark, just a few thousand dollars short of that first million dollar mark. If you'd like to give to the 2020 campaign today, you can do that using those envelopes that are available in the seat back pocket in front of you, or you can give online on our campaign homepage. Next, you've probably seen these stand-up displays in our lobby. This is a place you'll find any and all print materials related to 2020 Vision. In addition to the pledge cards and the campaign brochures, you'll find these prayer cards in there. Now these are important because on the prayer card you'll see 10 specific prayer points related to 2020 Vision. And it's critical that we continue to cover this entire campaign, the whole undertaking in prayer. If you want to find out more about 2020 Vision, you can do that on our website and you can even watch additional videos on our campaign homepage, gracefellowship.com slash 2020 Vision. I welcome all of you to worship today at all of our different sites. We're so glad that you're here. You know, the Allied forces following World War II found a very provocative message scrawled, uh, scrawled on the wall of an uh, abandoned house in Germany. A survivor of the Holocaust had etched a, a Star of David on a crumbling wall, and beneath the star, in rough lettering, were the words, I believe in the sun even when it does not shine. I believe in love even when it is not shown. I believe in God even when he is silent. Perhaps nothing will test your faith more than when God seems to be silent. Nothing tests the character and the quality of our faith. Like those times when we're waiting on God, waiting for a promise to be fulfilled, waiting for a yearned-for answer, and yet, so far, God seems to be silent. James reminds us in his little letter, chapter 1, uh, of this incredibly important message. He says, consider it pure joy... My brothers and sisters, he's writing to fellow believers in Christ, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. What an incredibly important message for us to learn. Now, there's lots of ways that our faith can be tested. It's, it's tested by adversity that comes. It's tested by prosperity. In fact, that's a huge test, probably even more telling than adversity. It's tested by temptations of the flesh and temptations of pride. But I'm suggesting to you today that perhaps nothing really drills down to the core of our faith more than those times when we believe God has given a promise, and yet, so far, we continue to wait. I mean, what are we supposed to do? Do we continue to trust 
in God when his promise seems to be lagging? Do we continue to obey God even when it doesn't seem to be paying off? I've had some would-be believers look at me. They were relatively new to this whole thing called Christianity and the Christian faith, and I've literally heard these words, this isn't working for me. And I think, I think what is often meant by those words is, look, I, I thought it would be different than this. I, I thought I would get these quick answers to things. I thought all the problems in my life would, would kind of get all solved and be a, there'd be a nice, neat bow tied on everything by now. But no, no, I, I find myself even with new problems sometimes. It's a difficult test because it's so contrary to our nature to have to wait, and it's so contrary to our society today. I mean, you live in the world every day. You tell me, don't we live in an instant society? We've got 10-minute oil changes. We have, uh, you know, 30-minute delivery or the pizza's free. We have one-hour cleaning. We live in the day of faxing and texting. We live in the day of Instagram and Snapchat. We want everything now, and we abhor the idea of having to wait for anything. There's actually a sign over a novelty store in Pennsylvania that says, Antiques made while you wait. That's pretty fast. It's pretty fast, okay? We just don't want to wait. We're itching for things to be instantaneous. But in a society like that, with that kind of mindset, God gives us an important reminder through the prophet Isaiah. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is so patient. He's never in a hurry, but he's never late. He always does his will just in the right time. That's why the Apostle Peter gives this important message about God's character and his patience in the little book of 2 Peter chapter 3. It reads like this, the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness. In other words, if the way you count time is the way you think God is going to be counting it, you're in for a surprise. But he says, no, 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 he is patient toward you. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so, as you read the Bible, what you're going to hear is this repeated instruction. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Be still and wait on the Lord, says the psalmist. Patience is better than pride, says Solomon. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength, says Isaiah. Be patient in affliction, says the Apostle Paul. 
And James in his letter says, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. You know what? If we're really following after Jesus, there's some times that we've just got to slow down. But that's so hard. Especially if you're a driven A-type like myself and so many of us who just want to make decisions. We don't like any sort of waiting or limbo. We want to know what the decision's going to be. We want to move on with things. And sometimes we'd rather just have a decision, even if it's the wrong one, than no decision at all. We want to get on with it. Waiting is so difficult, but to not wait is so dangerous. Dr. Eugene Peterson is the author of that paraphrase of the scriptures called The Message. He's a Hebrew scholar, a wonderful writer. I respect him a lot. One of his great books is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, a magnificent exposition of the songs of ascent, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. Amazing book. And in that book, he writes, it is not difficult in our world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. This is gold, folks. It's terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there's a dreadful attrition rate. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if it's packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, he says, it goes into the garbage heap. There's a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship of what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. And that long obedience in the same direction requires patience. So I don't know how you're doing in the area of patience and learning how to wait on God. But as we study another episode today from Abraham's life... I think we're going to get some insight into it. Now, Abraham was certainly tested, as we've seen the scriptures say we're going to be as believers. And quite frankly, to keep it real, he did not pass every test with flying colors. In fact, he really flubbed up a lot of them. But I think even as we study his successes and his failures, we're going to get some help for our own lives because we desperately need to learn this lesson about how to wait on the Lord. And this is going to be intensely personal, I believe, for many of us listening today. I believe this is going to be a life-changing word from God for many of you. So as we jump in, I want you to see, first of all, the prolonged frustration that Abram and Sarai endured. Let's pick the story up in Genesis 16, starting in verse 1. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Now, let's pause there. Everyone, especially those couples who have experienced infertility, can sympathize with Abram and Sarai at this point. They had no children. Two businesswomen were getting acquainted over lunch, and the first woman 
said that she raised four children before she went back to work. And the, and the second woman said, well, that's a nice family. I wish I had four children. And the, the first woman said, oh, I'm so sorry. Don't you have any children? She said, yes, I have eight. <laughs> and I guess some people believe, well, maybe you can have too many, right? But Scripture says children are indeed a blessing from God. And Sarai and Abram were disappointed because they had none. Now remember, this was particularly frustrating to them because this is the one area where God promised he was going to bless them. Ten years earlier, when Abram was 75 and Sarai was 65, God had come to Abram and said, look, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And so he packed up the minivan and he left his home and he went on this journey with God, believing that God was going to perform a miracle. It's now seven years later, still nothing has happened. And just when he and Sarai were about to give up all hope, God finally appeared to him again and reiterated the promise. Here's how he did it that time. He took Abram outside, he said, I want you to look up at the sky. You see all those stars up there, Abram? I want you to count the stars if you can. That's how great, that's how many your descendants are going to be. And Genesis 15, verse 6 says, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham was not righteous because of his deeds, but because of his faith. In God's promise. But now, it's three years after that reiteration. It's three years after God confirmed the promise again, and still they were barren. Time is ticking. The clock is moving. They're still in waiting mode. Abraham is now 85. Sarai is 75. And God is still apparently silent. It's a huge lesson to learn in this journey of faith. Sometimes we have to wait to see a fulfillment. I know businessmen and businesswomen who felt God nudging them sometime back to kind of step out in faith and launch a, a new entrepreneurial endeavor and start a new business. I've heard their stories. We have many in our church who've done this. And even though they've been faithful, even though they've prayed, even though they've sought counsel, even though they've been very, very vigilant and disciplined and hardworking, still the business is flagging. I know couples who desperately uh, want to maybe sell a house. But, boy, it's been a long time now, in some cases years, and you know what? It's just not working out the way they wanted. Where is God's promise that all things are going to work out for good to those who love him. Where is God's promise that if we cast our cares on him, he's going to care for us? You see, the Bible says that you reap what you sow, right? But sometimes there's a long period before, between the sowing and the reaping. We have to learn to wait. I've talked to many missionaries who've given their whole lives to share God's word in a, some cross-cultural setting in another country. 
And even though they're giving it their very best, they're discouraged because they've been preaching the gospel and sharing Christ, but with very little response. What do you do when that happens? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 reads, All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. You see what that means? Sometimes we have to wait until eternity to have the promises fulfilled. And in order to be patient, it is imperative that we understand the nature of God. That is his forbearance. Again, the apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 3, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. It's kind of like little children. Little children have a different concept of time than we as adults do, right? Your little child says, Mom, I'm hungry. I want to eat. Well, it's going to be about 30 minutes until dinner. Oh, no, no, not 30 minutes. That seems like an eternity to a child. Oh, I'd like to open my Christmas gift. No, you can't open them now. You've got to wait till Christmas. No, I can't wait that long. That's a whole month. I can't go that long. One father was taking his little four-year-old son on a fishing trip, teaching him how to fish, and he was all excited. But they decided to go to a marvelous place to fish, a wonderful lake loaded with fish, but it was 250 miles away. So they were going to drive there. And 50 miles into the trip, the four-year-old son says, Dad, are we almost there? His dad said, No, son, we've got a long way to go. A hundred miles into this trip, son says, Dad, are we almost there? Dad said, no, son, we're, we're not even quite halfway yet. At about 150 miles, the little four-year-old son says, Dad, am I still going to be four when we get there? <laughs> and, you know, that's the way we feel sometimes. See, you get better at waiting usually as you get older because that trip to a 40-year-old wouldn't seem like much, but to a 4-year-old, it's like an eternity. Now think about this. With the Lord, Peter said, one day is a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. God is eternal. He's been here forever. He lives outside of time and space. And so when we say, God, I can't take this another year, or I can't endure this for another decade. It, it, must, it must seem a little immature to God because to God, a decade is like the twinkling of an eye. He truly counts time differently than we. Think about it. Noah waited 120 years before the promised rain came. Moses waited 40 years, 40 years until he reached the promised land. And even then, he didn't get to actually go in. Joseph spent two long years in an Egyptian dungeon serving a sentence that he really didn't deserve until God finally rescued him. Jonah prayed in the belly of a fish Lord, save me. But he spent three long, uncertain days in that fish until he was finally rescued. 
Paul waited a decade between the time he was converted and the time he actually began to lead. It must have seemed like an eternity to him. He felt he was ready to go, but he, he still had a lot of growing to do. No wonder the psalmist prayed, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? There are many times in life when our faith requires that we sit back and wait, not knowing what's going to happen, but believing, believing that God's promises eventually will be fulfilled in his time. Well, frustrated with God's silence, Sarai proposed and Abraham cooperated with, this is your second big point here, an impetuous solution. Look again in chapter 16, verse 1. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. Now, this is not God's will. I hope you know that, by the way, that when you're in these historical narrative passages of Scripture, that everything that happens is not God's will. I hope you understand that. By the way, the biblical writers assume that we understand that. That's why they don't put these little footnotes all the time. By the way, this was contrary to God's will. They assume we get that. But here, Sarai is feeling desperate. I mean, come on. The promised miracle child has just not materialized. And out of frustration, she takes matters into her own hands. I mean, after all, we all know the Bible says God helps those who help themselves, right? Right? Don't you love that verse in the Bible? God helps those who help themselves? Don't go looking for it. It ain't there. It's not in the Bible, folks. So Sarai's saying, look, let's get realistic. The only way we're going to have descendants is through somebody else. So Abram agreed. He slept with Hagar. She conceived. Now, polygamy was a common practice in that culture, but it was never God's will. And the, the truth is, Abram and Sarai here have just become impatient. They had faith, but they were growing impatient, and they concluded that God was not going to do what he said he was going to do, and so they acted even if it was wrong, they took matters in their own hand. Let me ask you, let me get real personal with you for a minute. How do you do in those times? Really, you've been there, right? You know what it feels like. Some of you are there very much right now. Your heart's actually pounding a little faster as we're reading this story together because you know God's got a word for you today. How do you do when you have to wait and God seems silent. It's our nature to do something, even if it's wrong. We want to act. We want to see it happen. But when we refuse to wait for the Lord, when we go against his timing, the result is disastrous. Some young people can't wait, and so they go ahead, act like married people, it results often in lifelong guilt and interpersonal complications. 
sometimes in disease, often in missing out on the one that God really intended. Some people can't wait to have money the old-fashioned way by earning it, so they go to stealing or extorting money or gambling to try to get rich quick. Some athletes don't want to wait for the natural discipline of their body and proper exercise and diet, so they resort to illegal steroid use to try to get results really fast. Some people have emotional challenges, and so they just begin to medicate the pain, or they have a difficult marriage, and Boy, it just is going to take work, but they don't want to wait for that. They want to, don't want to learn to communicate and work through the difference. So they just have an affair just to kind of blow it up. Or they just quickly opt for a divorce when it had all kinds of hope, really, if they had just kind of hung in there a little bit and been patient and worked on it. Believe it or not, some years ago, there was a best-selling book called Final Exit. A do-it-yourself guide to suicide. You see, we don't even want to go through the long process of dying. And so we look for ways to expedite it. Never mind the Bible says it's appointed unto a person once to die. We're in a hurry. We'll take it into our own hands. The psalmist writes in Psalm 14, A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays Folly, patience, patience, learning to wait is an enormously attractive virtue in God's eyes. Well, the carnal solution of Abraham and Sarai eventually brought incredible complications. I want you to look now, starting in verse 4, at some of the perplexities that they faced. Verse 4 He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So you've got this intense animosity here in the home. She's flaunting her pregnancy over Sarai, who can't get pregnant. Verse 5, then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. Now, I wish I had a camera of Abram's face at that point. You are responsible. Now, he's probably thinking, who, me? I just did what you asked me to do. He just cannot understand why Sarai would be upset with him when he he just would say, look, I, I just went along with what you suggested. But I want to take a show of hands here at all of our locations. I want to ask all the women here, do you think, you might have a bit, I'm not going to ask you to say what it is, so don't get worried, but with a show of hands, do you think you might have a bit of understanding why Sarai would be upset with Abraham? Could I see your hand, please, if you think? Thank you. Boy, that's a lot of hands right there. Do you think Abraham should have said, oh, no, hon, no way. If we can't have a child just between the two of us, We're just going to keep waiting. I don't want anybody else. You're enough for me. But that's not what he said. And now he's in this mess. 
Sarai is miserable and he's miserable. I remember visiting in a Christian home once and they had the funniest sign hanging on the wall in their kitchen. I love this saying, hanging on the wall, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And Sarai is not happy here and nobody is happy in this family. Verse 6, your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Now, notice how passive Abram is becoming. He's just kind of copping out, saying, eh, whatever, and just kind of backing out of his role. Now, I'm sure Sarai was relieved when Hagar fled, but God was not pleased. And as you read on in the story, God came to Hagar and the child in the desert, uh, came to her in the desert and said, I want you to go back. I want to make of you a significant nation too. And so she went back and there was a temporary truce. But when the child Ishmael was born, Sarai really resented Ishmael. And when Sarai finally had a child of her own, Ishmael, the older boy, began to pick on and ridicule Sarai's son, Isaac. And so the blended family, the blended family is not blending like a smoothie, to say the least, if you know what I mean. There's trouble, big trouble in this home. And finally, Abram had to kick Hagar and Ishmael out for good, and the sons and daughters of Ishmael and the sons and daughters of Isaac, the Arabs and the Jews, are still at each other's throats today in the conflict throughout the Middle East, and all because Abraham grew impatient. Brothers and sisters, When you and I run ahead of God and disobey, there are inevitable difficulties. Moses became impatient about the oppression of the people in Egypt. He killed an Egyptian taskmaster and had to run for his life and basically hide out for 40 years. King Saul couldn't wait. Couldn't wait for Samuel to arrive and offer the proper sacrifice, so he offered an unauthorized improper one because he couldn't wait. He wanted to move on here, wanted to get this done. And he lost his throne because of that impatient move. Martha became impatient with her sister Mary for not helping with the chores, and Martha lost out on sitting at the feet of Jesus. Simon Peter became impatient and angry and cut off the servant of the high priest's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was rebuked by Jesus because of his impatience. There's a lesson we ought to have etched on our souls from this. Spiritual ends are never achieved by carnal means. Spiritual ends are never achieved by carnal means. Somewhere as we walk with God, we have to learn this dance of always being in step with the Spirit and not getting ahead of God, but not lagging behind. No, walking in step and 
if you can't do it God's way, either wait or look for another alternative because it's not God's timing. By the way, I'm so encouraged by our progress in this 2020 vision campaign, and that's why today, and we've given an update, and we're going to continue to bring you updates. I'm thrilled about how this is going. We're only a couple of months now into this campaign, and wow, things are going fantastic. Thank you for your faithfulness. All of you are a part of that and who've made pledges and who are faithfully fulfilling those. Debbie and I are so excited to be on this journey together with you. But I know that uh, a number of you are feeling a little discouraged because one of your main desires was that new campus, right? I know how you feel because I'm excited about it too in Schenectady County. So I just want to say to you, I think this lesson applies to us as a church, always. We never want to get ahead of God. We believe fully that God's got this. God loves the people of Schenectady County, believe it or not, even more than we do. He does. He really does. And in God's time, I believe that he's going to bring about the perfect solution. And I believe the gospel is going to go forth strongly. I love this old chorus Have you heard this before? In his time, in his time, God makes all things beautiful in his time. Lord, please show me every day as you're teaching me your way that you do just what you say in your time. On May Day, 1990, the tanks were rolling through Red Square in Moscow. The Soviet Union was still a proud military superpower. And all the dignitaries were there. The Russian army, with all of its splendor, was on display. Mikhail Gorbachev stood there on the massive platform, the dignitaries all around him in this sea of people. And across from the Red Square was a huge poster of Lenin, Engels, and Marx, heroes of the communist revolution. In the midst, however, of this May Day celebration, eight Christian men began to move briskly forward in the crowd and approach the platform, right up close, eight of them. Now, keep in mind that for over 70 years, Christians had been oppressed and Christianity suppressed in this country. Atheism was the official religion. But they had been faithful to God, the Christians. Many of them had met underground for years and years and faithfully worshipped. But now the barriers were coming down. There was a new spirit in the air. Walls were coming down everywhere. There were new possibilities and freedoms they had never seen, most of them in their lifetime. And one of these eight men was a bearded minister in the Orthodox Russian church. He came right up in front of the platform, literally right beneath where Mikhail Gorbachev was standing. Right below. And he raised up an eight-foot-tall cross right in front of Mikhail Gorbachev. And at the top of his lungs, he shouted, Mikhail Gorbachev, Jesus Christ has risen. And other Christians scattered throughout the crowd echoed that Jesus Christ is risen indeed. Friends, that moment was the death sentence of communism in Russia. 
because Gorbachev did nothing. All he did was simply turn and walk off the platform. And again, the cross of Christ had triumphed in his time. In his time. I, I don't know what your future holds personally. I don't know what testing of faith may happen to you or what things you're facing right now, however real they are. But I do know this. Jesus Christ is risen. And he's going to reign forever and ever. And I believe in the sun, even when it doesn't shine. I believe in love, even when it is not shown. I believe in God, even when he is silent. Father, I don't know of a more personal and riveting message we each need than this one. I don't know of a message more contrary to our culture and our personal nature than one that would call us to sometimes just slow down and wait on the Lord. Learn to trust him. Learn to not rush ahead. Don't lag behind, but don't rush ahead. We need this lesson, God. And I pray that you would continue to teach us that you make all things beautiful in your time. And for that one, for that one who is intensely struggling today with a situation where they've been waiting and waiting and wondering what you're going to do and when this is going to happen and when that promise that they're assured you gave is going to come about, Lord, would you stoke their faith in you? Yes, waiting is hard, but to not wait is disastrous. We praise you today and thank you for your amazing love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Rex.